Lift up the trumpet and loudly the ring, Jesus is coming again. Cheer up, you pilgrims, be joyful and sing, Jesus is coming again. This is the voice of prophecy, a voice crying in the wilderness of these modern days. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Coming again, coming again, Jesus is coming again. From our Voice of Prophecy studios in Los Angeles, California, we welcome you to this half hour of inspiration. You'll hear the music of the King's Heralds, Del Delker and Brad Braley. The Voice of Prophecy speaker is H.M.S. Richards. Brother, do you know the Savior, who is wondrous, kind, and true? He's the rock of your salvation. There's honey in the rock for you. Oh, there's honey in the rock, my brother. There's honey in the rock for you. Your sins for the blood to cover. There's honey in the rock for you. Then go out through the streets and byways, preach the word to the many or few. Say to every fallen brother, There's honey in the rock for you. There's honey in the rock, my brother, there's honey in the rock for you. Leave your sins for the blood to cover, there's honey in the rock for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we seek thy blessing upon this broadcast and upon everyone who hears. Bless our listeners in North America, South America, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, in all parts of the world where we may be heard. In Christ's name. There is a place of sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who bow before Thee. Near to the heart of God. Mm. 
Again is the King's Herald's Quartet. They offer an old song, but a new arrangement of "Who at My Door Is Standing." Who at my door is standing, patiently drawing near, entrance within. I hear sweetly the tones are falling. Open the door for me. If thou wilt heed my calling, I will abide with thee. Door of my heart, I hasten. Now is HMS Richards, the voice of prophecy speaker. His subject: We have some questions. Dear voice of prophecy, I've been told that when Jesus comes the second time, He will come secretly. And for proof, I was told to read First Thessalonians four sixteen and seventeen. Where does one get any idea of secrecy out of that? Well, that's my answer too. Where would it be? Let's read the verse you mentioned. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with a trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. According to the wording of this description of our Lord's return, there will be three sounds, the sound of the voice, the sound of the shout, the sound of the trump of God. In addition, the graves will be torn open. The resurrected saints will shout, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 1 Corinthians 15.55 What a joyous time that will be for all God's people who are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But think also of the great wail of the lost addressed to the rocks and mountains, Fallen us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6.16 Jesus used the word secret only once in reference to his second coming. Here it is in Matthew 24.26 Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. There is certainly no comfort in these verses uh, for any teaching of a secret return of our Lord. On the other hand, we are admonished here not to believe anyone who might say that he has come secretly. Christ's coming is not to be secret. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even of the west, said Jesus, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, Matthew twenty-four twenty-seven. Dear Sir, don't you think the preaching of the Christian faith has now reached practically all the world? Answer, it has reached spots in practically all the world. But in the last minute, the world population has increased by 83. During the last hour, the population of the world has increased by about 5,000 people, Since this time yesterday, it has increased 120,000, a pretty good-sized city. Since this time last year, it has increased nearly 44 million. Have 44 million people received the Christian faith in the last 12 months? Think about it. The population of the world is growing faster than the effective preaching of Christ is being brought to them. For example... Arabia, with 7 million population, has fewer than 50 native Christians in the whole country. In New York City, with at least 8 million people, nearly 55% are unaffiliated with any faith, whatever. Time magazine says that 27% are Catholics, a little over 10% are Jews, and 7% Protestants. This leaves over half the population of that city without any religious faith. And this is a city in a so-called Christian land. The great meetings of Billy Graham in New York must have brought the gospel to the attention of millions. Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Matthew twenty-four fourteen. Let us do our part faithfully to proclaim the gospel by life, by word, by sacrificial giving. Question. Do you think God really knows what we're doing all the time? Answer. The Bible says... Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Psalm 139, 2. In these days of rapidly advancing science, it would be ridiculous for anyone to deny that the Creator does not know everything that's going on when by our modern electronic devices we can keep in touch with people, see them, hear them, even count their heartbeats a thousand miles away. By the way, An ultra-high-speed camera has just been invented, which can take pictures at the rate of four million a second, believe it or not. As many as five exposures in sequence can be made on a single plate of film, with exposure time as short as 20 
microseconds, whatever that is, or less than one-fiftieth of a millionth of a second. Question, why does God not take us out of this world if he does not want us to be contaminated by it? Well, God's people are in the world, but they're not of it. Jesus said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. John seventeen fourteen. Jesus prayed that they might be kept from the evil. Verse 15. God's people are in this world for a purpose. In verse 18 we read, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. In Matthew 5, 13, we read that Jesus says of his people, Ye are the salt of the earth. Now, salt's a preservative. God's people are on this earth to be a blessing to others. Some scientist has written of a certain little spider in South America that has a home under the water. It has the power of forming a bubble about itself, in which, like a diving bell, it sinks to the bottom and remains there for hours, breathing the air from above, which it has taken down with it. When it comes to the surface, it's perfectly dry. No moisture penetrates the atmosphere in which it lives. So it may be with Christ's true believers. While in this world we may be surrounded with heavenly atmosphere and live for him here and now and bless others with our influence and witness. Here's another question about God's all knowledge. What does this text mean? Thou God seest me. Genesis 16.13 In answer... We suggest that it means just what it says. We read also in Psalm thirty-three, thirteen: The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. That's plain, isn't it? The 18th and 19th verses of the same psalm read, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Mr. Westlake, news agent, arrived home late one afternoon, found his wife and children had gone to the zoo. He was just having a little snack as he relaxed in the living room. As he finished his sandwich, he said to himself, I hope they got there all right. Then he turned on his TV set to see if there was anything worth looking at. The first thing he saw was his wife and children at the zoo. And was he surprised? He saw them clearly, watched until they went off the screen. Then he said, I had no idea that there was to be any television at the zoo. And when I turned the TV on, I never dreamed of seeing the zoo, and least of all did I expect to see my wife and children. In fact, they did not know that they'd been televised until they returned home. If such televising should become general, many people would be panic-stricken and fear that their every action might be open to others. Yet millions go on about their daily pursuits, completely oblivious to the fact that God does not miss an act, an attitude, a word, or even a thought. Dear Voice of Prophecy, will you please say something about Isaiah 53, verse 5? Gladly. Best of all, I will just read that wonderful passage of Scripture. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That's Calvary. That's the cross. I think I'll tell you an old story, a story we've told before in this broadcast, but I'm sure you'd like to hear it again. 
In a country school in the mountains of West Virginia, a new teacher came to take over. No teacher had ever finished a term there because of trouble made by a group of rowdy boys. Then one autumn, a new teacher came, a young man just out of college. He was frail, stoop-shouldered, low-chested, not a single physical factor to indicate his ability to cope with the situation. On the day school opened, he stood and faced this group of bullies and calmly said to the hundred or more pupils, Boys and girls, we're going to continue this school through the term. Of course, we're going to have order at all times, for we cannot do our work without it. There was an open sneer, contemptuous ridicule on many faces. Then the young teacher continued, But do not misunderstand me. I realize I cannot cope with any of you larger boys. I can't make you do anything that you don't wish to do. I don't intend to make a single law or enforce it. You will make the rules for yourselves. I propose, then, that we write on the board such laws as you think we ought to have to govern our school. More in the light of bravado than otherwise, one big fellow said, I move, sir, that we have a law against stealing. Another says, I move we have a law against lying. So, one after another, they made their own rules until ten had been written on the board. Stop, said the teacher. Ten laws are enough to govern even a nation. They will certainly be sufficient to govern us here at school. But law must be maintained, you know, and if it's violated, the offender must be punished. What penalty do you suggest? Someone then proposed that whoever violated one of these laws should be whipped by the teacher with a black gum whip, and that no coat be worn by the culprit during the punishment. Days passed, weeks passed. The school term was about a fourth over when one of the larger boys came to the teacher one day and complained that his lunch bucket had been stolen. Investigation was made. It wasn't long before the crime was fixed on a little fellow conspicuous because of his pinched face, thin body, sallow complexion. His coat and trousers were much too big for him as they had been cut down from an old suit of his father's. He always kept his coat buttoned up around his neck. Teacher called him up to the front. The boy soon made his confession. Yes, I took it, and I must bear my punishment, but please let me keep my coat on. Teacher said the rules say the coat has to be taken off. Take it off. The lad pleaded. At last, losing patience, the teacher demanded the coat be removed. When the boy obeyed, he stood before the school with nothing on save his trousers. He had no shirt, no underclothes. He stood there humiliated, expecting the blows. The teacher's face went white. He hesitated. Yet the law must be enforced. The penalty paid. Then he said to the boy, Why did you do such a thing? The little fellow answered between his sobs, My father died in August. His last wish was that I should be educated. Mother said she would take in washing and do scrubbing to earn our living so I could go to school. She's been sick now for two weeks. There's nothing at home to eat. For two days we've had only a little soup and a crust of bread and yesterday nothing. I'm so hungry. That's what made me eat Willie's lunch. Teacher hesitated. Then a big boy from the back of the room cried out, Wait a minute, Mr. Teacher. I'll take Jim's whipping for him. Though I didn't break the law, teacher put it to a vote. The school agreed. John walked to the front, took off his coat, bent his shoulders, bore the punishment. When the teacher had finished, he looked at the little culprit and said, Now, Jim, come and take your punishment. The school was up in arms. No, no, you can't do that. You can't punish two boys for the same thing. You agreed to let John take Jim's punishment. You can't punish Jim for what John's already suffered. The teacher smiled and said, That's right. I just wanted to prove to you that the law has been vindicated. And while the law is just, it's also merciful. Jim does go free from any further punishment. Little Jim ran over to John, threw his arms around his knees, and with tears trickling down his cheeks said, John, I'll, 
I'll love you all my life. What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm yours from now on. Well, that illustrates Isaiah 53, doesn't it? The Son of God, our Lord Jesus, bore the penalty which was our due for having transgressed the holy law of God. Can we not say to him, Lord Jesus, I'll love you all my life for doing what you did for me? Whatever you wish me to do, I'll do. I'm yours from now on forever. You see, he bore our punishment, which we couldn't bear. He took the death, which if we'd taken, we'd had no resurrection. When we really believe in him, you see, we commit ourselves to him. He was nailed to the cross for us. Listen again next week for another broadcast presented by the Voice of Prophecy. The power of God knows no equal, so let us keep looking up, going forward in faith.
have faith in God. Each puzzled heart and mind have faith in God and His true answer find. Have faith in God, the merciful and kind. Have faith, dear friend, in God.